1: Welcome back as we head into Hour 2 this Friday. It is a delight to have with us as we do almost all Fridays when he is in town, Rabbi Pinchas Alush. Rabbi Alush, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, is the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, heard on Apple Podcasts. Three to five minutes every week, change uh, not only your week, but uh, your life. It's uh, a lot packed in there. He's also the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefila. On Shea Boulevard, where all are welcome, observant or not, Jewish or not. Welcome back, Rabbi. Good to see you. Thank you.
2: It's always a pleasure being here. Thank you, Seth.
1: I was at an event Wednesday, Tuesday night. Wednesday night. Mm -hmm. Wednesday night. I was at an event Wednesday night, a political event. And out of, I don't know, 80 people, 70 came up and said, we listen to you and Rabbi Alusha all the time.
2: <laughs>
1: so I uh, think you. you're making I was me famous. Ad- I was
2: at an event on Tuesday night. Yeah. And also at least, what, six or seven people came up to me. And said the same thing. All so. right. So what that tells
1: me is uh, we need to broadcast these things more to your events than to my
2: events. It sounds like. <laughs> it sounds exactly. like Given the ratio there. That's right. But you know, Jews don't often give compliments. Oh so. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, so take it. Yeah, good, good. Um, not hard to give you any. No, please. Tell us about your son first and foremost. This audience likes to ask about him and pray for him. Royal Mordechai Chaim.
2: Well, thank you so much for asking each week, really. It um, moves my wife and I and our family. He's, uh, as far as we know, he's doing well. He's doing okay. We haven't heard from him in now three weeks. Uh, but that's fine. No news is good news. His full name for prayer is Israel Mordecai Chaim, the son of Esther. And we appreciate all of your prayers. I know that God is listening.
1: Interesting that you uh, attach the mother's name in these kinds of circumstances rather than the father's.
2: Right, because in Jewish tradition, when you pray for someone's health, yeah. welfare, right. well-being, you want to pray for the entirety of his creation. Mm-hmm. And the creation of every human being begins in the mother's womb. Yeah. So we go directly to the root, which is the mother, and therefore we mention the mother's name.
1: And maybe there's a message out of that in this week's portion as well that we'll get to in a moment. The portion, uh, the Torah portion, the Parsha that uh, the rabbi will be reading from the Bible, from the Torah tomorrow, as will all Jews in Synagogues Miketz, Genesis 41. means at the end. Interesting
2: title, at the end. Right. It refers to the end of... Two years, a two year period, in which the butler from last week's portion, who was uh, thrown into prison by Pharaoh himself, uh, according to the Jewish sages, because Pharaoh found a fly in his wine cup and he immediately uh, accused the butler, who therefore was found himself in jail. But uh, the butler, after Joseph's dream interpretation, by the way, was released from jail and just before he was released joseph said to him please don't forget me tell pharaoh when you go back to work there that there's an innocent man in I'm jail a good guy yeah right yeah. and he forgot and he forgot guy, yes. <laughs> or maybe yeah. maybe consciously yeah. or unconsciously yeah. forgot and uh, eventually after 2 years he remembered when when pharaoh himself had a dream then he said oh yes that's right someone interpreted my dream in jail his name is joseph maybe you should use him as your dream interpreter pharaoh because his interpretation of my dream was very accurate. So his interpretation of your dream might just be just as accurate.
1: You know, there are so many phrases that we use in the English language that sometimes people are surprised to learn they're either from the Bible or Shakespeare. Usually the two sources they're most surprised to hear them from. This portion and that story brings up one of them, the seven fat years or the seven lean years, right? This is where we get that notion from. That's so right. the pharaoh has two dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, And uh, uh, one is about uh, seven fat and seven emaciated cows, and one is about seven uh, stocked sheaves and seven withered sheaves. Um, I think he wakes up in between. Between the two dreams, if I'm not mistaken, and that's sort of important in the sense that maybe he wouldn't have remembered both of them if they were in the same dream. I think there's mm-hmm. something to that. And he's looking for someone to interpret this dream. Right. And his wine cup uh, servant can't do it, but then recalls there's a guy in the gallows who might right. be able to. Yes. Uh,
2: Pharaoh did try going to other dream interpreters, yeah. but no one was able to interpret them as he wished, or according to at least his vision. And uh, then Joseph comes and he interprets those dreams. And uh, he himself says this both, that both dreams really have the same interpretation. And he warned Pharaoh that the seven fat cows that uh, – no, sorry, the seven thin cows that swallowed the seven fat cows or the seven uh, sheaves uh, that swallowed the seven thin sheaves also uh, represent – they both represent that seven fat cows or seven fat years wealthy years will come to egypt seven years of plenty right yeah and then seven years of famine will follow and the famine will be so bad that it will swallow any memory of the seven years of the plenty thus the fat cows swallowing the thin cows or the fat sheaves swallowing the thin sheaves sorry the opposite opposite the thin sheaves swallowing the fat sheaves and uh, the thin cows swallowing the fat cows. It's that swallowing of that memory. You won't even remember how good it was because you'll suffer so much during the years of famine. And
1: if I'm not mistaken, the sheaves, the thin sheaves swallowing the fat and the thin cows swallowing the fat would look no different. They will
2: still look withered and emaciated, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Very well said. Right. Now, by the way, there is something quite interesting happening here because I would dare uh, all of you listeners – to juxtapose Pharaoh's dreams and Joseph's yeah, dreams yeah. because both have two dreams but their dreams are uh, following a different type of direction. You see, Joseph first dreams of sheaves and then he dreams of stars. Pharaoh goes the other way around. He first dreams of uh, cows and then he goes to something even lower, sheaves. Maybe to teach us that the Pharaohs of the world are not so nice, to put it uh, in a delicate way. Their aim is to go from more materialism to more materialism, from low to lower to lowest. The Josephs of the world, the pious people of the world, the people who know how to rule over their own materialistic inclinations uh, or temptations like Joseph did, they have aspirations that go higher and higher. First, he dreams of sheaves then he goes to the stars in the heavens because that's the outlook of life, to always try and accomplish more and more and climb the ladder of life to infinity. Yeah, nice, nicely put.
1: The notion of seven is kind of important too, and I'm sure there's a million commentaries on that. But seven, the number seven appears an awful lot in the Bible. Um, awful is an interesting word. It mm. really means full of awe. It doesn't always have to be a pejorative. It didn't start off as a negative word. Mm-hmm. It means something that makes you awestruck, right? right. But there's a, there's a great deal of the number seven. One of the commentaries I read about it that I liked is, is it's to remind us that God created the world in seven days six days of work, one day of rest, the importance of the Sabbath.
2: Mm. Very good, right. And the number seven in general in Judaism is a number of completion, mm-hmm. of wholesomeness. That's the seven days of the week, like yeah. you pointed out. Yeah. Or uh, there are many other sevens. Uh, You know, we have the seven. We just uh, are on the eighth day of Hanukkah. But the original menorah had seven branches. Again, that completeness of light or the completion of light, the wholesomeness of light. Um, But uh, Pharaoh dreams of seven cows uh, because, again, God is saying, when I will bring you something, I'll make sure to follow through so that that something goes all the way to the end. The full years that you'll have will go all the way to the end, but the famine will also go all the way to the end. The blessings I bring to you are wholesome blessings, and the curses too. The long drawn out
1: effort to get Joseph in front of the Pharaoh, Mm. the story, it's a long and winding road, as the Beatles might put it, to get him to this point and a lot of travail to get him to this point where he ends up as Pharaoh's number two. Basically, the I think one, the most common translation is viceroy, the, the number two over all of Egypt. And if when we come back from the break, I might talk to you about the meaning of that long and wending, if not winding, road. Hmm. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. He and I will be right back. Thank you, young David. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. Had a good tease. We're going to get into that long and winding road, but uh, my life will be worth only a nickel if I don't raise with you something I was asked to raise with you, which is the Gala and Soul Conference that you are um, hosting with your Congregation Beth Tefillah, February 25th and 26th, soulconference.org, soul, S-O-U-L. Do you want to say a word about it? You better, because as I say, my life will be <laughs> worth a nickel if it if you can't. I
2: think my life will be okay. worth a <laughs> Yeah, I know. We're both governed by the same authority here. I know. <laughs> so yes, but uh, I do invite everyone. And uh, as is, as our congregation is open to all, so uh, is this whole conference open to all. We'll have a lineup of all-star speakers, thinkers, entertainers that will speak about the soul, about the human condition, about how to make sense of life, and that indeed trailblaze our own pathway in the most meaningful and purposeful way. And uh, it will take place, a congregation. But Tefillah in Scottsdale... On February 25th, begins in the evening, and then February 26th during President's Day weekend. Wonderful.
1: And people can go to soulconference.org. We'll probably say more about it as we um, get closer to it. So this long and winding road. So Joseph, I mean, what he deals with, the, trav- the travails, thrown in a pit by his brothers, left for death, uh, imprisoned, um, only to finally become— Well, the head of all Egypt, really, after the Pharaoh. That's a big story. There's a big story in there. The one that's easiest or most apprehensible to me, and and maybe to most, is that um, whatever you're given in any given day or moment, try not to be frustrated. God has a plan for you greater than even you could imagine. Joseph could not imagine where he was going. Even this great dreamer would not imagine that he would be head
2: of all Egypt. That's right. And, um, you know, I have to confess, Joseph is my favorite biblical character. And I think because Joseph is the character that may suffer the most, may certainly face uh, dire challenges, but his approach to life never changes. He's always on a mission to accomplish God's work in this world. Whether he's in jail, whether he's in the house of slaves, or whether he's the vice king of Egypt, again, his mission is the same to do God's work, to be other-oriented and to better this world. Um, In prison, he meets two people that are sad as we spoke about last week and he lifts their spirits. Now, he, uh, in jail, he knows that he has to think more than Pharaoh thinks. He has to envision the future more than anyone else to better his country and better the world. He knows that he has to provide for people uh, not just physically but also spiritually. And he, uh, almost seamlessly enters this role all because he forever saw himself as God's agent of goodness and kindness in this world as should we I think you
1: said in this week's podcast that he's the first um, person in the Bible we think of or call a success if I'm not mistaken because this is a definition of success right not what you see from the outside but who you are and what you can be from within
2: very well said, right. Quoting well, p- you. Correct. No. <laughs> no, okay. so not I'm trying so well to be said. humble to make you <laughs> not. Uh, yeah, I get it. Okay, all right. But I will say this. What's even more interesting, not only is he the only person who's called successful, but it's also when he is mm-hmm. called successful mm-hmm. that is interesting. Yeah. Because he's not called successful when he hits the jackpot right. and becomes the vice king okay. of Egypt. God doesn't call him successful then. When is he called successful? When he's a slave. When is he called successful? When he's in jail. Right. Now, why? Why would God call him successful then and not when he rose to glory as the vice king of Egypt? The answer is simple, because God is trying to teach us that the definition of success does not depend on your status, the size of your bank account, or your destinations and achievements in life. It really depends on the depth of your character, of who you are, even when you are in jail, even when you are in the house of slaves, how are you going to react and, um, and, and function in life altogether? If you can function as an agent of goodness and kindness, even in those lowest of places, even when you're not in the mood, even when everything is going against you, then you're successful.
1: I wrote down some of the lists you recited on the podcast, faith, morality. I think attentiveness to friends, if I'm not mistaken, maybe the elderly, integrity, honesty, deeds of goodness and kindness and tending. Yes, you did mention elderly. I think specifically interesting in that list, the ill and parents. Most people would think of a lot of those. They don't think of the elderly as much. But there was something in your voice in the podcast that emphasized it.
2: Maybe I picked up something mistaken, but I figure I probably didn't. No, you're right. You know, maybe I was subconsciously inspired by a conversation I had, which is an interesting conversation, with someone who just moved from Iran. And uh, he tells me, I hear that in this country, when parents get old, they put them in a home, mm-hmm. put them up in a home, and they visit them from time to time. Um, I said, yes, that's correct. He says, in Iran, we would never do that. Um, and I, I, it came, you know, it came... to to present the subject altogether and try to compare the cultures. But uh, there is something to be said about visiting the elderly, taking care of them, and not just putting them up in a home. I'm not saying that people who do, uh, you know, have that type of approach. Sometimes that is the best
1: definition of care in
2: certain circumstances. That's right. Exactly, exactly. But to maintain that relationship and devotion to our parents, I think is vital to life altogether. Why? Because um, our parents gave us everything, and therefore we should give them everything. But it goes beyond that. When we respect our parents, we're respecting in a way God himself. God, who's that third silent partner to our parents, who created us. All three of them, our father, our mother, and God, created us. So by respecting our parents, we're respecting that general authority that includes God too. And I think that that relationship is perhaps the most important relationship one can have in life between us, again, and those three partners. It's beautiful, and thank you on that.
1: And what does make someone a success? It's not their what, it's their who, right? That's what you're saying. Mm-hmm. We um, have a tendency in this society, perhaps a misprioritized tendency, to look at the what's. Um, and you mentioned, you know, appearances on Forbes magazine or, right. you know, uh, any kind of outward thing as a sign of success. And we have that all wrong. It can right. be attached to someone of success, but it's in no way indicative of success.
2: Mm-hmm. That's right. It's the what, it's not the what's. it's the who, another way to put it. It's not the tangible, it's the intangible. Okay. The character that you have, again, the integrity, the honesty. The goodness of heart that you have, all that is what truly defines success.
1: Yeah, and Joseph is, as the first success in the Bible, also he, his name ultimately becomes, is it Joseph HaTzadik? Very well, you know, that's right. You, you want, let's pick Hatsiq. up on that when we come yeah. right back. But quick translation, Tzariq, Joseph the Righteous. The Righteous. We'll be right back with Rabbi Pencha Salush. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, Rabbi Pinchas Alush, P-I-N-C-H-A-S. Alush is A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. He is the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah here in Scottsdale, and he is the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast on Apple Podcasts. We're talking about Genesis 41, which is the portion of the week from the Bible uh, that will be uh, read and, uh, and uh, discussed uh, tomorrow uh, in uh, synagogues throughout the, the world. Rabbi, so Joseph is called Rosh, Joseph, Joseph Hatsadi, Joseph the Righteous. It tells me, I mean, that's a that's that's a strong, that's a good name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if anyone would you know call <laughs> someone the righteous, you know, right. that's a strong name. It tells me, based on what you were saying a few minutes earlier, too, that maybe. That's a sign of success, your good name. I mean, people don't think about how important a good name is, a person's name.
2: That's right. You know, King Solomon says in the book of Proverbs, Tov, Shem, Ishem and Tov, a good name is better than good oil. It rhymes in Hebrew. But you're right. But he earned that title of righteous, Yosef HaTzadik, as you mentioned, also because it's easy to be righteous, in uh, your own bubble. It's easy to be righteous when everyone around you is good. But how about you be righteous when you have temptations knocking at your door? How about being righteous in societies that are not necessarily good? Let's see you be righteous then. If you are, then you too are truly righteous. Well, Joseph showed us that even when he was alone in the world, imagine that, he was a 17-year-old boy alone in the world being seduced by a gorgeous woman, he was able to withstand the temptation. Even when he was in jail, he was able to be happy. And even when he was in a corrupt society in Egypt, he was able to be honest. That is what made him righteous. And it should teach us that, again, regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in, we have to be righteous. Tzaddik.
1: One of the blessings of these visits I have with you is it gives me occasion uh, on Friday mornings to call one of my best friends in Washington. We've discussed Tevi to discuss a little bit of the Parsha so I can get a jump start on you. <laughs> and he always gives me a little kernel mm. on that point, to that point. So one of the most interesting things he finds in this portion, in this Parsha of the week, is that several times in a row in Genesis it's said of Joseph that yes. You will be in charge of the land of Egypt. You will be in charge of the land of Egypt. He will be in charge of in the land of egypt he will be He was placed over all the land of egypt and then finally, we get this turn of phrase at the end of all this, leaving pharaoh's presence. Joseph traveled through all the land of Egypt. Tebbi said he read a commentary all very passive once he, once he passes all these other tests, it seems like finally he can actually do the the, the, the land of Egypt. He can travel, he can leave and actually go and govern. Mm-hmm. Some people are born to greatness, some people achieve greatness, some people have greatness thrust upon them. Shakespeare writes in the twelfth night
2: right yeah that 's correct, and I would say that I think it 's part of everyone 's journey. Mm-hmm. Because I know that in our day and age, we expect immediate results. We seek instant gratification. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But no, to truly become a king, a king over ourselves, a king over society altogether, it takes time. And once you've passed test after test after test, then you can achieve that royalty and travel the land. Mm-hmm. It's really one of my old
1: favorite – my personal favorite Talmudic uh, lines, lines from the Talmud, something l- along the lines of one is only given the opportunity for great things once he passes the test of small things. Mm-hmm. Something like that in the Talmud. I've always liked that. And um, in a way, it's it's,
2: it's it's paradoxical because it means don't treat anything like a small thing. Right. In the words of the ethics of our fathers, "hevem Chashev Mitzvah Kalaka in Hebrew, which means uh, relate to even the small deeds as big deeds. There you are. And to the big deeds as small deeds. Yeah. Because we do not really know how to measure them. Only God does.
1: The only testing ground for the heroic is the mundane.
2: Rabbi Pinchas Solution, I will be right back.
1: Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Rabbi Penchas is my guest. We're discussing Genesis 41 at SEC. Rabbi, let me fast forward a little bit in this story. There's a lot here, but let me get to a part of this chapter where Joseph and his brothers, Joseph f- first obviously recognizes his brothers. They not so much him. They don't recognize him. Ultimately, there is a... Uh, what would you call it? A, 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 um, a reunion. They recognize, uh, they, the, the recognitions are mutual, and his brothers do recognize him. Um, Joseph wept. Just that very plain line. I love that line. I just love the simplicity and the kind of innocent beauty of this. One of the commentaries said Joseph wept when his brothers and he saw his brothers because he saw their regret. He wept because he recognized they regretted what they had tried to do to him. Mm. And uh, this notion of uh, rehab, recovery, forgiveness, it made him cry.
2: Mm. Right, right. You know, Joseph cries a lot. Mm -hmm. He cries a lot. He's a very, very sensitive human being, which is also what makes him a good leader if you think about Mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. Sensitive people in general are good leaders because they can sense others. They can sense their pains and therefore lead them out of their pain. They can sense their character and therefore define, help them define their character. So he's a sensitive man and therefore it's no wonder that he cries. But it's interesting because, you know, I would suggest that there are two types of cries. There are cries of despair and there are cries of hope. And maybe tears of sadness and tears of joy relate to that. But Joseph, even though he cries... It's never a cry of despair. And even in this moment, as you mentioned, when he's crying after he reveals himself to his brothers and sees their regrets, it's a cry of hope. He says, oh, you just gave me hope. I saw your regret. You gave me hope in humanity, in humanity that might fail, but you in humanity that can still change after failure.
1: I just kind of want to take you home with me because I have so many more questions yes, for sure. you. Uh, such an interesting point, Hopes of Tear and Joy, most of society would think of those as two very separate things, but you used the word that they might be related. Tears and joy can be related. I was just thinking, quickest example I could, of at a wedding,
2: mm-hmm.
1: at a traditional wedding, which is perhaps one of the most joyous or two or three most joyous occasions in your life, hopefully, and, and yet you smash a glass. Right. And uh-huh. that's not because of a joyful memory. Right. But everyone then shouts for joy.
2: That's right. That's right. And again, there you see at weddings, you see tears of joy all the time. Uh, Tears of joy that really create hope for the future. So we have, again, that cry of hope. And by the way, again, that's the type of cries that are emphasized as positive in the entire Bible. You know, it's interesting because the cry that I think reverberates the most in the entire Bible is the cry of Rachel. Mm the mother of Joseph, who also cries. The wonder where his tears come from. But Rachel cries, as the prophet teaches us, because she refuses to be comforted. Even after her passing, she stands as a good advocate for her children and for this world up there in heaven. And there she cries, refusing to be comforted until God redeems us. So there you go again, another cry, another type of tear that aims for the future for hope, for betterment altogether. And something about being
1: optimistic in countenance I think I would draw out here. In the interplay, the byplay between Joseph and his brothers, the brothers are always thinking the worst, in a sense, if I read it right. They're worried Joseph will kill them. They're worried Joseph will punish them. Um, And even not perhaps accepting of their apologies to him And he tells them they actually don't have that much to apologize for after, you know, such a terrible thing they did to him because he said it was ultimately good to save a life. He had the long view of it, you know? (laughs) At the end of the day, it brought us to this point.
2: Right. And what's even more interesting, if I may add, but but that's an excellent point, by the way, Seth, but, but what's even more interesting is that he tells them do not be afraid because all of this, was divinely designed yes yes the fact that you sold me was divinely designed so i accept that as as not something that happened to me but something that happened for, for me. me yeah nice and in many ways that was joseph's approach and it's an approach that you see him trying to contage the world with mm-hmm. especially his own brothers and beautiful well
1: done we'll come back to that there's one other line i wanted to make sure we got out uh and discussed before. Before time ran out, when he sends them back to Egypt, uh, to, uh, to to um, Jacob uh, Israel, when he sends them back to Israel, he says, "Do not be quarrelsome on the way." I did a lot of research on that line because it's interesting. First of all, when they leave and descend into Mitzrayim, they we are told it's not brothers that really talk to each other very much in the first place. They don't have hmm. a lot to do with each other. But this issue, don't be quarrelsome on the way. What could that possibly mean? The one interpretation, I think is Rashi, that I thought was the most interesting, and it might be a very minority opinion, I don't know, was um, that they aren't to become overly enthused in discussions of Jewish law lest they lose sight of the road and become unsteady. Have you ever heard that before? It's a little interesting. It don't is. be so heavenly – Holy that you're earthly useful, I suppose, <laughs> that you're not earthly useful. Something like that, maybe. Uh, that's right. Maybe. I don't know. It's I'm probably being...
2: a minority opinion, but I, <laughs> for obvious reasons, liked it. <laughs> and, and it's an optimistic opinion okay. because the literal opinion, I mean, the literal translation of that is don't stop blaming one another. Okay. Don't okay. don't search for victims, uh-huh. uh, which is Joseph again, Joseph's general approach, uh, you know, against victimhood. But that opinion that you just quoted – really i think speaks to to this idea that we cannot be aloof we have to be as uh, jacob or as the story of jacob's dream puts it we have to have our head in heaven but we have to have our feet steeped here on earth we
1: um you told a uh, a beautiful story in the newsletter and we only have a short segment coming right up i'm going to ask you to stay for it if i can because it's a, it's a fun little story well, and sure. it's a nice sabbath message Rabbi Pinchas Alush and I will be right back. Rabbi Pinchas Alush of Congregation Beth Tefilah, colloquially known as CBT, has been our guest this hour and uh, gives us a lot, uh, not only his time here, his time in the community, his time at CBT gives us his podcast, he gives us a morning newsletter on Fridays. And uh, always worth receiving, Rabbi Um I loved the story about two, um, I would know them as, I guess, shluchim, two um, mm-hmm. two missionaries in Alaska. Um, you want to tell that story to the audience? It's a beautiful story.
2: <laughs> sure. It's a great story. Shluchim, one, the right word? Shluchim is the right word to emissaries. Uh, one of them whom I know well, and he told me the story this of This is how, a true story. <laughs> a true story. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: All right. also happens to be true, as you believe it? Or Kissinger, yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, many years ago, him and his friend went to the Lucian Islands in uh, Alaska, and they were looking for Jews to bring some Judaism to. And uh, everyone told them, you're wasting your time. There are no Jews here. But they were relentless, and they went from uh, place to place, from store to store. And then they went to a school. And in that school, they were invited to speak. And then at the conclusion of their remarks, they asked, are there any Jews here? And this uh, little girl raises her hand and she says, well, I'm not Jewish, but my mother is. (laughs) So they immediately jumped on the occasion. They said, we want to meet you. We want to meet your mother. And they eventually met the family. And uh, when, after a long conversation, when they were about to depart, they told the mother and her daughter, look, in Judaism, there's a beautiful mitzvah, a good deed that you do each and every Friday before sunset. That mitzvah is called, Shabbat candle lighting you light the Shabbat you light the candles in order to welcome the spirit of the Sabbath in this world. I want you to know that if you take upon yourself this mitzvah, they tell them, you won't only be taking upon yourself this mitzvah for yourselves. But you will take be taking it upon yourself for the entire world. Why so? Why the entire world? Why Just the entire they in Alaska in the Aleutian Islands? Why That's are they correct. doing it for the entire because, world? Because look, Sabbath begins to come in in Australia, the first part of the world that uh, turns from Friday afternoon to Friday evening when the Sabbath comes in, and then it moves along along uh, along the the map of the world. Uh, Then Sabbath is welcomed in Hong Kong and then in Europe and then in Israel and then in North America. But you know where the last place in this world that the Sabbath is welcomed into? Right here where you live in the Aleutian Islands. So when you will be lighting your Shabbat candles, you'll be welcoming the Sabbath not just for yourself but for the entire world. So make sure to light that candle. It was a powerful story because it reminds us of our raison d'etre to light that candle in our part of the world so that the entire world can be illuminated. All said, Rabbi. Good to see you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Always a pleasure.
0: Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn